Welcome to the Driving Change Podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network, where we live at the intersection of neuroscience and storytelling. If you love great stories and you love understanding the mindset it takes to be a world-class change agent, then join us as our fascinating guests from all walks of life unpack their unique journeys of perseverance and passion, of expertise and experience, and be inspired to use your own story to drive change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. As usual, I'm your humble host, Jeff Bloomfield. And today I'm really humbled because I've got someone that I admire tremendously and I think is going to bring a ton of value to you, the listener today. Kevin Miller is, is he's not just a former pro athlete. He's not just a published author. He's not just a father of nine who's dedicated himself to helping people and someone who lives in 9,200 feet above the National Forest where he built a house out of straw, literally. He's not just someone who has made a huge difference in the lives of so many people. He's also the host of one of the most popular podcasts on the planet, the Self-Helpful Podcast, which I'm telling you, if you haven't listened to this thing yet, you're going to want to look that up. This podcast is in the top 1% of the four plus million podcasts out there with 60 million downloads, 400,000 uh, downloads per month. Uh, it's amazing. This, this guy's an amazing thought leader in the space of how to practically take all of all the self-help stuff that's out there in the universe, and he curates it and then translates it so that you and I can actually apply it to our life in a simple way. His book, which I love, and we're going to get into this a little bit today as well, his book is called What Drives You. So if you haven't read that yet, you're going to want to pick that up. And there's so much gold in there. And we're going to just zigzag this conversation all over the place because there's so much that I want to get into with Kevin. Kevin, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. It's an honor to have you on. Hey, man, it's an honor to be here. I mean, it's one of the gifts to have a conversation like this as part of our vocation. I would pay to come and talk with you and talk about these topics and such. So uh, I, it's thank you. It's such an honor to be here. Oh, you're, you're great. Too gracious. Thank you very much. So um, I think you have such a, an amazing story, and that's one of the things that's ironic is, is that you're, you're a specialist at helping others recognize the story that lives inside of them and how to take that story and translate it into usefulness for the rest of the world. But tell the audience a little bit about your origin story. Take us all the way back as far as you want, back to you know, little Kevin and, and, uh, and, and really what molded you into and maybe who helped mold you into the person that, that you are today and why you're so passionate about helping people understand their, their true divine nature and how to, how to walk that out with more purpose. I found out recently that you uh, were a farm boy from Mansfield, Ohio. So was my dad, uh, literally. So he grew up, his parents were born Amish and uh, he grew up there in a conservative, you know, very conservative upbringing and saw some different possibilities. And like you, he went on, broke out of that mold, went to school. And his, gosh, I mean, his, his religion to a degree was self-improvement, seeing what else is possible out there. He went into psychology. So boom, here, here I come along there, my mom and dad, their first kid. And he saw, you know, human potential in me. And that's what I was brought up in. So it was almost the pursuit of bettering yourself was, 
That was, that was a given. That was a purpose, one. And then two, it was finding purpose in helping other people. That's the good part of, of the story. Now, honestly, Jeff, a big part of my story is also I, I realized the, the inherent, I want to say the altruistic joy of having positive influence on in other people. I also realized the dopamine hit of it. And so I pursued it my whole life because it is what I wanted to do altruistically. It's also what I wanted to do selfishly. I mean, that's what fed me. And there's good and bad to that. Uh, and I pursued it good and bad. There's pros and cons out of that. Now in a health, more healthy place, a more self-aware place, uh, I realized, man, it is, it is, uh, I can hold that balance well, helping other people and knowing, man, that's what gives me the most dopamine and it gives me the most joy as well. I mean, to have an influence on someone else. I just got a, an email from my oldest son about influence in his life. And I thought, I just, you know, I can, I can go now, put, just put that on my obituary. I, I'm good. What a gift. And to be involved to this degree uh, in self-help, self-improvement, personal, I think without it, I feel depressed. Like what else is there then? Just coast along. I, I don't get that. So I am, I find hope in evolving. That's awesome. I love that comment about your son and, and I'm constantly challenging myself. We talk about it a lot around here is are you living your life in such a way that someone, hopefully your children, will one day list you as the sage in their story? Like, is that the way you're living, right? And that's kudos to you because clearly you are, uh, or your son would not have given you that email. So well uh, done. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your background with, I know you got connected in, you and I have a mutual friend in Tom Ziegler, and, and you were fortunate enough to actually know Zig, and Zig was just somebody that I admired from afar. Tell us a little bit about that that connection with the Ziegler Network and how you got plugged in with them and all the different things that that, that inspires you that Zig and, and Tom have, have, have done to help inspire this kind of version of you in this season of your life. Yeah, thanks. I was just at an event, one of the podcast movement, a big podcast convention, and was actually with my mom and dad at an event they were hosting and I was a part of. And my dad told the story uh, in talking about me of as a kid, I listened to Zig Ziglar just like him. And that's who he had me listen to. And literally a six, seven, eight years old, and I'd get out of line and I'd get an attitude adjustment, which meant go listen to some Ziegler tapes, you know, and, and some others too. You and Brian Tracy, whatever, listen to this stuff. You'd think I hated that. I'd hate this stuff coming out of that. But so, I, I mean, I knew, I knew Zig Ziglar. I mean, we, and, and then it went on. And as in my later years, my dad, we'd go to conferences and there was a, a time period, you know, back with the big Peter Lowe conferences where they'd have, you know, 30,000 people and all these big celebrities out there. And my dad got us in for free and, and kind of backstage selling product for these folks. And I got to sell product for all these big names, you know, be back there as a kid, just kind of helping out, whatnot. And I get to meet them though. And you'd see the good and sometimes the not so good, you know, from some of these folks. And man, Zig stood out, bottom line. I mean, the dude just, if you were in front of him, he was 100% with you and he wanted he wanted more for you than you wanted for yourself. And it just exuded out of him. So yeah, now fast forward, I was running an organization that helped people who wanted to trans, or who wanted to pursue self-employment. And I got, uh, I got some notoriety in that arena. And I think through my dad, we can't recall it now, but somehow I met Tom Ziegler and developed a friendship and ended up speaking for the Ziegler Corporation. They had a big broadcast that went out to millions of people, and I got to speak there. And the first time I went down to uh, Dallas, I spent a day with Zig. It was after he had had a fall. He had some cognitive impairment. And 
I spent a day with him, did one of the last interviews that he ever did, but got to spend the day and go out to uh, go out to lunch with him and whatnot and hear him. And in his, you know, little cognitive impairment, he would repeat himself. And it was amazing, Jeff, to see him repeat those same things you heard on stage, man. He lived them. He loved them. And there's nothing he wanted but to get across to me some of those, you know, golden things. He told me, everybody's got to write a book. You got a story. You got to write a book. And if everybody would court their spouse after the marriage, like they did before the marriage, we wouldn't have divorce. I mean, he said these things over and over. And at first, he thought, oh, he's kind of repeating himself. And then as it goes, time goes on, I think, it's because I need to hear this. Thank you, God. I need to hear this over and over. So he, so I got to be friends with Tom. Tom ended up out here at my house. I'm in my home office right now and uh, out at the bonfire. And uh, man, I can go on. Incredible time at the bonfire with Tom asking about his dad. And if you want to go into that, I can, I can do that. But that brought me into the fold kind of. And when Zig died, I got the opportunity to kind of audit what was happening there and uh, where, where maybe I could help with where the direction of Ziegler uh, Corp was going to go. And we saw this podcast that they had just been throwing clips of Zig up on. Not really a podcast as we know it, where he's actually talking and doing it, but they just throw clips up there. And you know, a year and a half after they'd posted the last thing, there's still people searching for it. And I said, man, let's bring this in and bring it to, to this current uh, culture. Let's play a Zid clip and we'll talk about it. And we'll bring Dave Ramsey in to talk about it and uh, Seth Godin in to talk about it. And that's what I picked up. Tom Ziegler said, man, do it. Go nuts. He had a lot on his plate already. He said, go nuts. So I did that. And the show just grew. Uh, thank goodness. And you know, a lot of people wanted to hear, uh, hear Zig, but then hear people talk about him, testify to it, help us break it down in relation to how does this relate to today? So different than we do with the Bible. You know? So this is what happened back here. How does that relate to today? I like those messages. And, uh, and ultimately the show grew. And as you know, a show is host driven. And so I was the primary name and not as many people know the name Ziegler. And so we did change the name to self helpful, uh, which is, is the content that I pursue. Um, though it is still, if you see it on the, uh, or hear my show, it's at the top of it. It says, Hey, this is brought to you by the Ziegler corporation and, and gives a call out to them. So that's the story of Ziegler, man. It's still, he's one of the most, um, influential people in my life. It's crazy. I, I get to interview a lot of folks on the show as well. And how many of them Yeah. at some point, you know, unsolicited reference Zig. Yeah as an influence in their life. And it's just amazing the kind of reach he had. And you know, we, we should all aspire to have that level of influence in our life that it's truly legacy living, right? Is that the two generations later, even the kids are like, oh yeah, I know this, I know the Ziegler name, um, which is, and what an honor for you to be able to spend some of his last days, right? Uh, with him in, in that situation. Um, and you're right. If it would have been me there, he would have been repeating himself, not because of any, any reason other than he knew I needed to hear it six times before it stopped. Right. Totally. It was, it was incredible. That's awesome. What, what a, what a great story. So, all right. So tell me a little bit about this. I want to get into the podcast in a little bit, uh, just a little bit later. Um, love the angle with it here. And it's not really an angle. It's just truly a need that's, that's it's been in the market that you're doing with it. But before we get there, what's this, what's this deal with this house? Like you built this house up in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. It's made out of straw and I've only heard bits and pieces of it entirely to tell the audience what, what in the world possessed you to do that? What's that story? It's a weird story, Jeff. I still sometimes look around and go, I can't believe this worked. Uh, we had moved. I, I, I had 
just about lost everything through some bad business decisions just, and, bur- and just personal burnout, kind of back to that, trying to, uh, you know, uh, have an impact in people's life, but I took way too much responsibility. So it wasn't the first time, uh, it was, or it wasn't the last time I burnt myself out. And, th- and that's part of the story, part of the story of my book about what, what drives you. Uh, but we found ourselves, I had fallen in love with Colorado right out of high school, uh, came out here, and that's when I was pursuing cycling, and I came out to the Rocky Mountains. That was Mecca for cycling. Fell in love with the Rockies. Met and got married uh, back east, and we were there for a decade. Finally found our way out here to Colorado. Didn't have any money, uh, kind of a fledgling business, doing some consulting, actually still in the cycling industry. But we we will, I mean, I had a burden to have a place for my kids. We had three initially, uh, three kids and thought we were done and then started having kids after that. And I wanted them to have, to be out in the land where I wanted to be, to be out in land and have the woods. And I wanted that. And we bought some land when we, we had no time, we had no money, we had no know-how, but we bought some land. And I was just looking for how can we build a big house, something kind of in the environmental, sustainable, sustainable uh, type capacity, but a, a big house as cheap as we possibly can. And I had met these people who had built this house out of straw bales. And it's, you know, the insulation's incredible. There's a lot of labor to it, but it's, it's somewhat simpler in essence to, to build. And uh, man, long story short, we did it. We got help from people who had done it. And so it's this big, you know, there's a a 2,400 square foot concrete slab out in the national forest. And on that, we did a post and beam two-story house. So it's supposed to be, so when you look at it before, you know, just with the initial posts and floors and the roof, it looks kind of like a normal house, although it has these really big expanses. So instead of going in with, you know, two by sixes and insulation and and, uh, siding, it's bales of straw. I can't remember, it's like 450 bales of straw tightly bound, very dry straw. And you go in and you stack it. I've got pictures uh, of the thing with just the straw there before the stucco. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's odd, you know, and people go, oh, it's like the three little pigs, you know, you're going to blow it down. But the, but the reality is, I mean, you know, like a phone book, you know, it's so thick, you can't even light it on fire. Well, that's what the straw bales are like. And then you go over it with stucco and it's this concrete fortress. So it's this 4,800 square foot box. It has no style whatsoever. Uh, it's just this huge box with windows. And uh, it is, it's a fortress out here. And it's, yeah, 9,200 feet above sea level in the Rocky Mountains. So it gets cold in the winter. Man, the insulation's incredible. The sound, you don't hardly hear a thing outside. There's no creaking. There's no whatever. So it, it's amazing for out here. And it's a great story. We have, I mean, we have, uh, I have a, a map in essence, of where we stuck scriptures, stuck them into the straw bales, you know, as we prayed over every room before we stuccoed. And my wife went around when the concrete was still wet and wrote scriptures in, in different rooms of the house on the, you know, on the lower floor. And I had people involved that the day that we built it, or not built it, that we started stacking bales, had friends, just a whole crew of friends out here throwing bales on. And uh, it's a weird story, but, you know, straw bale construction. Now, if you look at it, it's a legit, you know, construction. They have some places where really high-end homes, a lot of them these days are really high-end and expensive, but ours is lumpy bumpy. It's kind of cool. And people come in and like, what on earth is this? Uh, So it's a good, it's a, you talked about story, man. It's a good story. It involved the whole family and- uh, we were able to put a lot of labor. We actually designed it, did the general contracting, and I did a ton of the labor with help. I'd never done a thing. I'd built a set of shelves once, uh, but we did that, and it helped us to uh, 
you know, move in day one with a lot of equity. So we've got it five and a half acres. We back up the national forest and it feels like we own the mountain. That's awesome. Yeah. When I first heard that, I was look, I was thinking back to my old farm days and we used to stack the bales as high as we could until they wouldn't fall over. I'm like, he built a house out of this. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then the second thought I had was, where he built it, does he have like animals trying to eat his walls? Like they're coming in for lunch. This is like, yeah. just, no, make, make, makes sense. That, that would be awesome to see one day. So it's pretty cool. Let, let me ask this. Cause I, I want to get into the book, into the podcast, but I, I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask at least a couple of questions around uh, a lot of people don't know this if they haven't dug into you at all, but man, you had an entire career as a professional athlete in the cycling space. Um, tell us a little bit about that background and maybe what are the one or two really, really powerful life lessons you learned from that experience, which helped propel you into this next phase of your life? Man, like any sport, you know, whether you're pro or not, it teaches you just your own ability to improve, you know, to help yourself and that it's, that it is, uh, on, on you and being disciplined and, and whatnot. I mean, it taught me a lot. It helped me see the world. Uh, it was a ton of fun. Now today though, it's just as much of a lesson in some of the ways that I wasted the opportunity. I was a very mediocre pro. I mean, I was a pro, but I was very, mediocre, yeah. very chaotic, not very coachable. I was more, uh, a lot of times more interested just in having, having fun with it and the lifestyle of it than actually winning on the podium. And so, yeah, I was, uh, um, you know, gosh, cycling in America, it's not the number one sport as we all know. So to be a mediocre pro, it wasn't a lot of fame and glory. It was a lot of fun, a lot of adventure, a lot of, uh, learning how far you could push yourself. It's an interesting sport. I, I was just on somebody else's show and they were talking about it. And it's interesting in that different, I've had a lot of even other athletes, if they know cycling, they'll, they'll say in, in all reality, and of course some people will take offense to this, but that the racing is one of the hardest, it's one of the hardest sports out there. Because if you've ever watched the Tour de France, if you ever watched these races, you got a pack and the pack has this drafting effect. I mean, you're literally saving 30% or so, which is why the guy in front of you can near be all out and you can be behind him tucked in and you're okay. I mean, you're going hard, but you're okay. And that dude's killing himself out there. So if you're in the pack and you know, the wind's driving and you're going along and you're at a hundred percent and you're in the pack, you cannot fall off. If you fall off, you're gone. You're popped. It's done. Day's over. You're not going to catch the pack back again. And so being at that and think, this is my limit, but if, unless, unless I want the race to be over, I have to go past that. It's, it's an interesting reality of that. So I, I have some respect for people who I know are at the top levels of cycling. It goes beyond. I had a buddy who was in that realm. Then he went to be a pro, pro triathlete, actually won Ironman Canada. And he said, man, he said, training to be a triathlete beats the crap out of cycling, man. It's way harder. It's the hardest thing there is out there. Wow. But, the, but racing, he said, it's a rate that the triathlon race, man, it's, it's a cakewalk in essence compared to cycling. Cause you never have to go to that limit, you know? And, and, uh, it was a, it was, so it was an interesting, it was an, an interesting and beneficial and, and even in retrospect, you know, looking back and seeing how I squandered some of it has been a big lesson to me as well. That's good. Well, let's use a little bit of that uh, metaphor of the, of the racing. Cause it led you then to, you got the show and then you've got the book and so the idea of knowing when to drive from the front, knowing when to draft, see what I'm doing there? That's good. I, I didn't even use that. I should have had you help me with the book, man. That, that's, that's for you. You should have called. You should have called. All you had to do was call. I should have. 
So no um, how long has the book been out? Book has been out. I think we're going to come out soon and say that this is the the latest book launch ever. It actually was available hard copy in May, but it wasn't until July that the audio was available. Here we are, September, and we haven't done the official book launch. Our sh- the, thank goodness, you know, on the good side, my excuse is because the show's doing well, and we just even though the book came out, uh, it was late coming out, and because of me. Um, but the show is doing so well that we finally said, you know, everybody's supposed to get so excited about the pre-sales and whatever. You know, the book's not going away. I know a lot of books that didn't hit their stride till later. I'm not going to worry about it. So the book is there. And, uh, and we, I mean, we're having fun with it and crafting the show around a lot of the topics and having people on the show and talking about what drives them. But the actual big, you know, gnarly book launch hasn't even happened yet. So that's kind of fun. We're kind of sitting on it a little bit, but I, you know, talking about it here and there and, you know, people are buying the book and I get testimonies, but, uh, uh, it, it's, it's been, it's been fun to do, to have that as a foundational topic. It's helped me even realize more what I'm about. Well, we're going to come back to the book in a second, and glad, glad to hear that you, you know, somebody else launches books like I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you had this idea of with the self help, the self helpful podcast, and and I think what I really when I when I first came upon it, I'm like, man, this is brilliant because there's so much stuff out there, and in today's informational digital age, everybody's got an opinion about this. This is how you can help cure this, and this is how you'll fix this. And this, there's so much, you know, self help stuff out there. That number one, it's hard to f- keep track of all of it. Number two, it's hard to find what what you know is reliable uh, people in a different given space. And your idea to take this, curate it, translate it into the most effective, uh, you know, kind of wisdom for people, and that it will apply just personally and professionally. I thought was genius. So tell us a little bit about the show and why you arrived at this being kind of the platform for it uh, topically. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. And even when you did my intro and talked about translating, you know, their their wisdom, um, you know, we're, we're sensitive to that because I mean, I have you know incredible people who are experts in their area. So for me to translate the wisdom, wisdom almost sounds lofty. But, you know, we all have our, our perspectives and our skills and abilities. And even I talked about being a kid growing up in the self-help industry and going to the conferences. I got to see it from, from being a kid on. I got to see my dad implement this stuff. I got to see him teach it. I got to see people go through it. And I saw the, I don't want to say the good, bad, and the ugly, but I saw the, the, the growth. And then I saw a lot of the ways that people didn't, that they heard this stuff over and over and over and they wouldn't change. And I found myself more and more hearing these brilliant messages and you know, not, who, who am I to add something to it? But I almost felt like I'm a layman out here and I hear what you're saying. I've heard it before and you're saying it great, but I also, I'm watching people out in the crowd I know where they discount it or discount themselves or where they nod to it, but they don't really know how to do that. And that's the world that I lived in. And I found myself saying, oh, that's brilliant. Folks, okay, this is what you wanted. And I got the opportunity to do this in an organization that I had, again, teaching people self-employment, where I would bring in experts. And I literally got to do that. I was the host. And so they'd be talking and I would, uh, you know, in, in all in all respects, say, oh, that is a brilliant point. Hold on right there, folks. You hear what he's saying? Now, what I've experienced, though, is so often you discount yourself here or you nod to it, but you don't know what to do. Here's another way to think about it. And people go, oh. So it was almost kind of like I was the layman's translator of these people with great wisdom. That was always something that was on my heart. 
And today I love doing that. I love taking a book and going, holy smokes, that's incredible information. And, and, and here's really how I think you, everybody can embrace it most. And I think somebody could do that with my book, Jeff. I think we all, you know, when you're writing a book, especially, and you have a message, you can get kind of lost in your own sauce, as, as, as my, one of my kids likes to say, or you don't see the forest or the tree. And, and it's good information. And then I'll find even somebody with my book, and they'll take and go, oh, man, the thing that stood out to me was this concept. And I'm thinking, dang, I... I hadn't thought of it, just like you, you know, with the, the drive and the drafting thing. Well, I hadn't thought about that. That's great. And I have a knack for doing that. So I enjoy being a curator. I get sent stuff from agencies and publishers, all these great books. And I may have three on the same topic. And I'll look through and go, man, they're all good. Oh, that one resonates with me. So I'm not going to say that that one's the best. But I'm going to say that one resonates with me. And I want to take it down this angle. And I get to choose. So we take those topics. I'll take a topic and we'll... Uh, make that a series and I'll have the expert on and we'll talk about them in their book. And then I talk about, do another segment, what drives them. And then I bring a co-host on who listens to my first show with them to, to just round it out. Hey, what do you think? I had Tom Ziegler on recently to do a session. Uh, it was on confidence from another author in their book. And he brought a whole new perspective into it. And we talked on that. And then I culminate it with kind of what is the big take, uh, the big takeaway, the big idea and the big action that I see. And, and apparently a lot of people resonate with, you know, my perspective on that. And, and, uh, and that it's really a great way for me to learn. And, um, but yeah, it does come to, we have so much information out there, man, you know, the Bible Solomon said a long time ago, there's nothing new under the sun and there's not, but there's new times, there's new circumstances, there's new perspectives in the culture. And so for us to take these classic and new, you know, information or, or angles on things and then help people to embrace them actually in their lives. Cause it's unique for all of us is uh that's a passion of mine for sure. A, a passion slash burden, I would say. Well, but that's a good way to describe it. And I think that every, everybody's got, we're going to get into this in the book, right? Everybody's got their own superpower and, and some people get to activate it early in their life and some people never discover it. Yeah. And I tell a lot of folks that invite me on to speak and, uh, stages of all all different sizes. I say, look, there's a lot of people that can give the same information that I give, and and some people can translate that into inspiration in the moment for the audience. But if it leaves it there and we don't trigger activation into application, it's useless. Yes. And what I just heard you say is your superpower is taking a lot of the self help information, translating it for activation. Yeah. The least application, and that's a unique space. And I think what I get from you is what Papal used to always say around simplicity. Simplicity, right? And that's the old, you know, the old Einstein adage. If you know, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. Hmm. And you have a unique gift that God given gift of taking what other people is brilliant information, but it doesn't mean it translated simply to people who can immediately go, Oh, I know what to do with that. Yeah. And I would have never even thought that that was a need until I, stumbling on yourself. I'm like, well, this is kind of what we do with communication, but this guy has figured out how to do it with everything I've ever listened to, read, and watched and never applied. <laughs> so kudos, kudos to you for that. Uh, well, I, I appreciate that. You, you know, thank you, one. And, and two, I'm also with you though, man. It, it, we're, we're all on, you know, we're all on this journey trying to figure this out. When I wrote my book, uh, Jeff, I was 
on one hand, really impressed with the amount of knowledge I had up here in this noggin from having so many people, you know, 200 plus people on the show. And I'm right on top and thinking, oh my gosh, I know the story for that. It's so-and-so. And this is what they, what happened to them. And this is the concept. And I'm pulling out, I'm on one hand, really, uh, you know, really pleased with myself about how much knowledge is there. And conversely, it was pretty daunting to realize, man, yeah, I know that knowledge. I have not applied it. I have not applied it. And it's even shifted the show to that's why we do that four part series. And now I am challenged with the fourth episode in every series is me doing this wrap up of the big takeaway, the big idea. And sometimes I have to sit there and go, well, heck, I was excited about it. We did the show. I get it. But what is the big takeaway? What did I learn or what do I want to learn? And that's that was really heavy on me as well. We take in knowledge. We do that all day. We listen to these shows, your show, my show. We read the next book. We get all this knowledge, but that's not learning. Learning is actually, as you said, you know, it's applying it. So I'm going, God, what, what am I learning? What do I want to learn? What about that message do I need to change? And how do I do that? I'm going to have to study this stuff and actually apply it to my life. And it's a, it's a little, uh, it feels a little um, schizophrenic almost, you know, that here we are putting information out, which is great. And yet, on the other hand, I almost want to say, folks, you don't need any more information. Just stop. Don't listen to my show. Don't read my book. Figure out the one book, one resource, the one message that you most need, that you most would want to turn back in a year and say, this is what I want to see change in my own life. And don't read or listen to anything else. Stick on that thing. Study it like you do the Bible and figure out how to apply so you can look back and go, man, I evolved. I, I changed. I grew. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly in that tension. Well, I I, uh, imp- I empathize with you there. I mean, I always tell, I say it a lot around here. Is you know, sometimes I feel like the master cobbler whose kids have no shoes. <laughs> yeah, the mechanic whose car doesn't run. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's it's that's fair. So your book, it's called What Drives You. Again, for the audience out there, how to discover your unique motivators and accelerate growth in work and life. And and what I like about the way that you, not surprisingly, I like uh, the way you've done everything. The way you laid out the book is you've really broken it down into, you know, you got your driving school in part one and part two, the driving lessons. So what drives your purpose? What drives your relationships? What drives your body? What drives your mind? So you've broken it down into real practical subjects and then unpacked each of them in a real easy to understand way. So we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I, what I want to do though is my favorite, I'm just going to be selfish here in, for a second. We're going to dive into chapter six, what drives your mind? Because our audience knows that I love neuroscience and behavioral psychology. And we're constantly talking about communication and communication effectiveness and what prevents us from communicating every day and personally and professionally in a way that really kind of helps move relationships in a positive direction. And, and you get into a lot of stuff in here from the epigenetics to the mindset, mindfulness. You get into a lot in this book that I absolutely love. And we talk a lot about a lot of the things that you, you've, you've referenced in here. So when you think about that chapter specifically, what would be your takeaway for the audience here around just this chapter on what drives your mind and how you think and feel? What have you learned that in this, if they read this book, they're going to get it out of this chapter? Yeah, I, I, the two, there's really two things that continue to impact my pursuit of growth, you know, in regards to my mind, Jeff. And one is, you, you mentioned epigenetics, but just that, our genetic, you know, set points that we do have some, and I don't like that. 
I want to believe that everything is is nurture, not nature, that we can just create ourselves, we can do whatever we want, be whoever we, we want to be. And, you know, to some degree, yeah, but we have some set points. We have some stuff that is not going to go away. I am not going to become a different colored person. I'm a white guy. I'm not going to have red hair. I'm not. And there are some things ingrained in my genetics that I'm not going to get rid of. I want to know what they are so I can get them out of the table and figure out how to get what I want uh, regardless, how to manage those and, uh, but not get handicapped by them. And that's what I have. That's part of my uh, story in the past is not being aware of them and then seeing myself repeat patterns and then come back and go, okay, here's some things that are happening. Some of them were genetic, some of them upbringing, whatever, but they were some set points and I need to get those on the table and I'm not going to deny them. I'm not going to, even the aspect of overcoming, I'm not going to get rid of them. They're kind of there but I can, they don't have to own me and they won't if I know they're there. So I want them out on the table. So that, that's been, man, I can talk about that all day. I, that's a, a really interesting area for me. And then a, a part of that too, of just the, you know, whatever happened to us uh, in our upbringing, whatever we were exposed to or not, but we were programmed. We were programmed. One, like one of the saving graces I have as a father now I can't go change my programming from my kids. I can't not program them. I've told them, I, I can't not brainwash you. I mean, this is, you're growing up in the woods. You don't have any choice. And that's great, but you, there's a lot of things you're not experiencing. You're growing up with a dad who's self-employed. You're not exposed to somebody who has a different job or a, a, you know, a doctor, lawyer, profession or whatnot or uh, everything. I mean, you're, and then you know my values. I can't hide my values and I don't want to, but... They don't, I mean, I hope that some of my values pass on, but some of my propensities and interests don't need to. I'm an athlete. I'm a lifetime athlete. So far, I don't have a kid who's really into athletics. And I look at that and go, well, if I'm a good father, does that mean they're all carbon, they're all carbon copies? I have athlete entrepreneurs. That's everybody. Is that success? Or is it more success if they're all very diverse because they found their own flavor? They found their own. And, you know, but looking at, Guys, I programmed you. Now you've got to be aware of that and go and let yourself be free of that a little bit. Question it and figure out what you're programming. Create your own program. You're not going to get rid of what you learned and were exposed to for me, good and bad, but you can build on that. And if you keep what you like, keep playing the same program songs that you like that are bringing you benefit, man. But if there's some for me that uh, you don't line up with, you're going to need to, to reprogram. You need to experience something else, expose yourself to something else and reprogram yourself or, or add to your programming. And uh, I, I want people to hear the hope in that, but also the conviction that if you don't want to be where you are, you've got to put more in. And that's, you know, again, we're back to Solomon. That's been said a billion times and we still don't do it. We still fall into the cultural expectations of what should drive us and how we should drive. Even if it's not working culturally, we just fall into it. And man, I hope people read my book and are able to step back and question and give themselves permission to consider what do they value for them and them alone? What do they value? And then to understand why and as you know in the book, that right there, that's what creates our drive. When you know those things, when you know what you really value for you and you alone, not the cultures or someone else's expectations, and you know why, you know specifically why, what is the motive behind that, the reason behind that, when you know that, then uh, you don't have to go pump yourself up that much anymore. Uh, you, that, that's what drive is made up from, and you can wake up every day with it. And I, uh, a few things I'm more grateful than that in my own life. 
Well, it's so well written and laid out, and <clears throat> everything you're saying is. I mean, your entire book. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go way out on a limb here and say I can sum up I can sum up your entire book in one word. Please. Identity. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you. And and you really understand and do a life journey of finding your identity and where it truly lies. It will activate the spark, which then allows your purpose to be hmm. walked out without all the other shackles that we let let our programming have on us, let the world tell us we have on us. And I mean, you've done such a great job of that. And for folks listening, the, one of the things, so you quoted in, in this chapter specifically, you quoted uh, from an episode you had with, with Terry Reel on mm-hmm. um, your show. It said family pathology, and this is kind of that programming you talked about. Yeah. It rolls from generation to generation like a fire in the woods, taking down everything in its path until one person in one generation has the courage to turn and face the flames. I see that every day where people, it's like they keep hearing this message of positive self-help. Hey, go do this and be this and go do But they're so bogged down by the computer virus of their programming that their processor is not ever going to allow them to do that. And so, because they've never stopped and recognized they needed to put a little antivirus software into that before they can can do it. I love that quote because then later on, just two pages later, you say, however, if you come from a biological family history of fear, negativity, scarcity-mindedness, then know that you are in for some work. Again, this is a set point to deal with, not a limitation to accept. Oh, my gosh, That when I read that, Kevin, it just blew me away because I'm like, that's me. I came from this amazing papa who was a positive influence, but I had he passed away, and I had a father who was a Marine who was just scarcity mindset, and it was pre-programmed in me. And I've spent over you know two decades trying to figure out how to reprogram that scarcity mindset, and you nailed it. It's 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 a set point. It's not a limitation. I just got to deal with it and recognize what it is. Man, it's such good. Hey man, they, I I love the discovery of that as well, and it was from so many. Again, it's the culmination of so many people like Terry Real, brilliant guy, uh, who I got to sit at the feet of and have on the show and learn from, and, and you know got to do that all, all my life. And yeah, to see, and, and that's also where I missed out for myself is I missed out on going and figuring out what were those set points that I was coming from. Well, I talked about it. I was literally yesterday on the back deck with my brother talking about this aspect of financially. Why do we have this kind of a scarcity mindset financially, even if we have money? I, I had some, one of my, a couple of my buddies making fun of me for driving my old 200,000-mile truck. And like, Kevin, you can go down and buy any car you want. Why, why don't you do that? I said, I don't know, man. I don't even see myself driving some fancy thing like that. I said, well, that's your problem. I said, I know. Uh, it's a set point. And, and getting that out there, and I'm slowly... I'm dealing with it, you know, and, and I have set points on health and wellness that, that I, that are incredible. I mean, that, and, and they, they benefit me and I know that those, but yeah, getting those set points, but not those limits. And it feels like we tend to, I feel like a lot of times, Jeff, I'm looking at these messages and realizing as a culture, how we tend to polarize, we tend to polarize either, you know, either we think we're great or think we're horrible in this area or, or that area. And we think that we're totally overcome by our genetics or they have no relevance. I mean, both are terribly, terribly detrimental, as you know. Uh, and I come from the side of, of wanting to think, no, my genetics have nothing to do. Man, I, I made myself. I mean, I'm like every other kid who came out of the home and thought, okay, man, I'm, I'm free. I'm out. Now I'm me. I'm going to create the me, uh, anything I want to be. And I think, 
Oh man, I wish I could go back to that guy. So no, you are programmed, son. You are. Yeah. You have no idea. You are not free, man. You you are totally programmed, hardwired in. I lo- I wrote down your your uh, quote there. Bogged down by the computer virus or their own programming. Would you go back and tell my twenty year old self that, Jeff? I would have saved me a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> Only if I could stand next to next to him man. here for me as well, right? I'd have written this book twenty five years ago. Uh, so you, yeah, thank you. But you know that the journey you had to go on the journey you went on in order to be in a position to write this book. That's one of my questions to God. It's going to be like, okay, you know, could, why did we have to go through all of that in order to be helpful? Why couldn't we just be helpful from the beginning? We were too stupid <laughs> and young and didn't have the experiences to go through all that. Hey, that's true, man. The show is called Self Helpful, and it's a journey of me trying to help myself figure this stuff out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, man, I wish uh, I wish we had more time on this. I, I, here's what I would love to offer: is when you do the formal launch of this thing, and you wanted to promote it again, would you love? Would you Would you enjoy coming back on the show? We'd love to promote it and and send it out again in a few months if that's uh, an option for you. I would. I would love to. Yeah, we've got. I've got. I'm blessed to have. Yeah, I don't even know what the number now. Two hundred and thirty people, forty people. You know, these incredible. Uh, authors, experts, podcast hosts that have been on the show that uh, I'm going to get to do the tour of and talk about and talk about what uh, what drives people and some of the key messages in the book, some of the myths in there. And it's fun too, talking, you know, like with you, the host of and getting into what drives you. Uh, it's always, I'm innately curious about that in every single person, more and more so every day, which uh, is a gift there to have something that you're always curious about. And I am about what drives people. Well, for the listeners out there today, do yourself a favor. And I know you're probably tired of listening to me and my hyperbole every episode, but we always have amazing guests on. But this one's special. This one's unique. And for if, if, if you really, really believe in this stuff and this idea, this idea of self-reflection in order to identify constraints in your life that are holding you back and then looking at ways to, to really live out your purpose, go subscribe to the Self-Helpful Podcast immediately grab the book what drives you read it and if it doesn't change the way you think about the way you think then you send me a note and i'll give you a refund for the book because i'm telling you it's that good um kevin this was an honor and a privilege and, and i really appreciate what you're doing and helping folks like me look out and, and my and i see people like you and it just gives me passion and excitement to continue doing what i want what i'm called to do because i see people like you motivating others out there to do it so thank you Hey, man, thank you for having me here today. I am motivated by you and your insight uh, significantly. Jeff, this has been a complete gift. My pleasure. We'll have you on again soon. Thanks. Hey, friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzoir, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.